Amen. Thank you, Lisa. Well, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, a passage that Pastor Doug read a moment ago. I want to remember to pray for our brothers and sisters at Graham Church. Pastor Don is away speaking at their church this morning. And uh, just a sweet congregation. Thankful for them. And just want to pray for Pastor Don's ministry as well. So I've lived my entire life in Michigan. And one of the things I appreciate about living here in Michigan is that we get to experience all four seasons. Uh, spring, summer, fall, winter. One of the things about winter that I'll never get used to is the darkness. Uh, I, I can tolerate the cold, and I've even come to enjoy the snow as an adult. Uh, it's easy as a kid when you're just playing in it to enjoy it, but having to shovel it is more difficult. But come to enjoy the snow. But driving back to church at 5.30 in the pitch black uh, is just not a pleasant experience. It's just very dark. And with the darkness comes... I don't know, just a sadness, isn't it? Uh, that's why people have a hard time living in Scandinavia. Uh, darkness just brings sadness. But thankfully, as the days get darker, we get to celebrate Advent, which is all about light breaking into the darkness. The Advent season, as we've been singing already, is all about hope. It's about a story of God breaking into the world that was uh, lost without him to rescue people for his glory. And so as we think about Advent, it's sort of a dual opportunity. As Pastor Doug prayed a moment ago, it's not only an opportunity to look back at the Christmas story, to think about Mary and Joseph and coming to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and the angels and all of that, but it's also a chance to look forward because as we think about the hopeful anticipation of Israel's Messiah coming to earth to rescue his people, don't we share that same hopeful expectation of our own? We long for the Messiah to come. And so we sing, come thou long expected Jesus. Who are we talking about? Are we just sort of reflecting back? No, we're singing that ourselves. We want Jesus to come to us. Because the feeling of being in the dark is really the absence of God's kingdom in this world. Right now, our world is full of misery and disappointment. And ironically, as we come to this time of year, not only do we remember Christmas, but we come to the end of a calendar year, we think back over this past year. I'm sure many of you can think of times this year that you've experienced disappointment and loss and grief. So what hope can we have? Who's going to rescue us from the darkness? Well, of course, the answer is Jesus. Because in fact, Christianity provides the only hope that will not disappoint. So our main idea this morning, for those taking notes, is we need Jesus to save us from this dark world. We need Jesus to save us from this dark world. And thankfully, our passage gives us hope that he will. But before we can talk about the hope, we need to talk about the darkness a little bit. 
As Pastor Doug read from Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Well, that phrase deep darkness is actually the same Hebrew word translated in Psalm 23 as the shadow of death. So what is this darkness, this shadow of death? Well, on the one hand, darkness is used over and over again in the Bible as a metaphor for evil and suffering. The context of our passage here is the threat of war. In Isaiah's day, war would have been constantly on the horizon, but particularly in this time, uh, the people of Judah, which was the southern kingdom, uh, they had broken away from the northern, the northern kingdom had broke away from them, and they were conspiring with another nation to kill their own family, their own kin. And so to add to the horrors of violence and death would be betrayal and distrust. And in many ways, you could say that war brings out the worst in human experience, doesn't it? Now, by God's grace and mercy, I've not experienced war firsthand. Some of you have, and we're grateful for your service. But you think about all that war brings together. It's inherently violent and deadly. It destroys bodies. It destroys families. It creates poverty and famine and financial hardship. People are displaced from their homes, some never to return. War is a breeding ground for disease. Uh, interestingly, the number one cause of death in the American Civil War was not combat, but it was disease. It's devastating psychologically for those who survive. And perhaps the worst part is that war never seems to end. You know, when one war ends, another one is not too far behind it. As of right now, December 2022, there are about three dozen countries in the world engaged in some sort of armed conflict. And so as we consider these horrors, we're reminded that the world is a dark place. Because in fact, all of these things that war seems to bring together can actually exist outside of war. Families can be destroyed even in peacetime, can't they? People can live in poverty even in the midst of prosperity. Disease is everywhere. Seems like somewhere in the world, some, every day, some doctor is telling a family that there's nothing more they can do for their loved one. So the world is a dark place. And what compounds the darkness in a lot of ways is that it's often of our own making. It's often a result of ignorance or pride. According to Isaiah, the people in his day not only felt the darkness in terms of the threat of war that was coming, but they actively rejected God's word in the process. It wasn't just that they were suffering, but they abandoned the only source of hope that they had. And so look back with me, just one verse to the end of chapter eight, verse 22. It says, they will look to the earth but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's not only that they experienced evil and suffering, but they looked to the earth. That is, they thought that they had the resources, 
both in themselves or in the community around them, to fix their problems. That's how a lot of people live today, isn't it? We look to ourselves, our own gut. What is our gut telling us is right? Or what does society tell me is right? And we think we have the resources to fix our own problems. But sometimes the solution is worse than the problem itself, isn't it? And trying to fix our own problems actually thrusts us deeper into the darkness. This is one of the greatest lies that the devil has sold us as human beings, is that we're somehow wise enough to figure things out on our own. Instead of looking to God for answers, we look to ourselves. Oh, I think that fruit looks pretty good. Why don't I take a bite? I think I know what's best for me, for my family. Let me just lead according to my passions and desires, what I think is best for us. Not only that, we we look to other things around us uh, instead of God. We look to technology. We look to our bank accounts. We look to the government. But can any of those things save us? We live in a time of unprecedented technological advancement. We live in a time of unprecedented wealth. We live in a time of unprecedented government involvement, the administrative state. But has the darkness lifted? Are we in the clear yet? What's going on here? And sadly, this time of year can be the worst for people buying into this lie. For all the talk of peace and joy, one of the most foolish things we can believe is that if we just band together as human beings, we'll establish the peace and joy that we long for. It's not true. As the commentator John Oswald said, those who depend upon earth for solutions to the earth's problems only compound their darkness. Light for our darkness must come from outside of ourselves if it is to come at all. And so repeatedly in Isaiah's day, the prophet pleads with the people, look to God, go back to the scriptures, remember what God has said, what he's done, and what he's promised to do again. Look to God and find salvation. But instead, people repeatedly look to themselves, to their political leaders, their friends. So what are you trusting in to save you? What do you think is really going to give you peace and joy that you long for? Well, if we look to God, if we read the Bible carefully, we'll see that the light that we need has already come into the world. It's the light of Christ's kingdom. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. I love Isaiah's confidence. He's writing in the past tense about something that has yet to take place. Isn't that fascinating about biblical prophecy? It's so certain, even though it's yet future, it's so certain we can write about it like it's already happened. That's how certain it is. God's promises to us are certain even if they're yet unfulfilled. Does that bring hope to you this morning? There's darkness in this world, but there's a light coming. In fact, it's already come once. And he's coming again. I love that Pastor Doug combined the passages. I want to look back once again at Matthew chapter 4. 
The Bible tells us very clearly that the light is Christ's kingdom. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What is the light? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is the light that shines in the darkness. Matthew quotes this passage from Isaiah as a prelude to Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. As a way to say where Jesus is, the kingdom is. Where the king is, that is where the light shines. So if Jesus is in Nazareth, the light is in Nazareth. And to fulfill the prophecy, he moved to Capernaum because it said it would be in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Wherever he goes, light shines in the darkness. And if we were to look at Matthew more carefully, we would see what follows this announcement of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And he healed them. The darkness lifted. Isn't that amazing? Consider the gospel accounts when Jesus shows up. I'm just going to give you a, a quick hit list here. When Jesus shows up, the demons flee. Sick people are healed. Sinners are forgiven. The marginalized find belonging. Storms are calm. The hungry are fed. The deaf hear. The mute speak. The blind see. And the dead are raised. Talk about good news of great joy. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Where Jesus is, the darkness lifts. And this is essentially the logic of Isaiah chapter 9. If you were to go back to that passage for just a moment, you would see that the joy that the nation experiences, the joy as at the harvest, as at the victory won in battle, why do they have this joy? Well, they have joy because he has broken the rod of oppression. They're free. And he's broken the rod of oppression because he's defeated their enemies. Even the clothes they wear in battle are going to be thrown into the fire. That's how done we are with warfare. All the clothes, don't even keep it around for sentimental reasons, right? No more, no more memorial, right? We're just done with war altogether. That's what it's like. They rejoice because they are free, and they are free because they have peace. And so we learn that Christ's kingdom means peace and freedom and joy. 
Isn't this the kind of world that everybody wants? You know, the, it's kind of a caricature in a way, but you know, at the beauty pageant, they say, well, what would you do if you won the beauty pageant? Well, I'd fight for world peace. I don't know how successful any of them have been. But world peace is something that everybody wants. Peace, freedom, happiness. Isn't, aren't those the things that our souls crave? And yet we can't ultimately find them anywhere but in Christ. Only Jesus can lift the darkness. Now, some of you here today might not be Christians. I just want to say I'm glad that you're here. Maybe some of you are here because it's around the holidays and you're visiting family. Some of you were invited by friends. Uh, we're thankful you're here. and encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards. Maybe some of you are here because you've hit rock bottom and you don't really know where else to turn. You're all too familiar with the darkness that this world has to offer. Well, you've come to the right place. Because in this message of hope, you're going to find the thing that satisfies your longings. A world where darkness cannot overcome the light. Where pain is eclipsed by joy. Where freedom triumphs over oppression. And where there is peace forever. Only in following Jesus will you receive those blessings. In the here and now, we get a taste of it. Just a little taste, a down payment, if you will, of the full thing yet to come. In the church, you know, churches can be dysfunctional. And believe me, I got enough dysfunction of my own to know that. But in the church, this should be a place of peace and freedom and joy. When we sing, why do, why do God's people sing? We sing because we're happy. We sing because we're free. We're singing because we know peace with God that satisfies our souls. And so when we gather here, we get a little taste, but it's only a taste. And that's why we can sing songs of longing for what's yet to come. Come, thou long expected Jesus, because we've gotten a taste of freedom and we want the full thing. We've gotten a taste of real joy and we want the fullness of joy forever. That's what we want. So we long for his coming. So if you're not a Christian, I'd invite you to go look elsewhere. Go see if you can find that somewhere else. I promise you, you can't. We need Jesus to save us from this dark world. But thankfully, just as certainly as he came once, he's coming again. Everything in this passage builds to the climax of verses 6 and 7. The gift of the king. Let me just read these verses for us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth 
and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I want to offer just a few observations from this passage. The first is that the child was given to us. He's a gift from God to us. There's a common misconception about the Bible that there's this Old Testament God that's just angry, full of wrath, and then there's the New Testament God that's all about love and and joy. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's an old heresy. The truth is, there's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who planned beforehand that Jesus the Son would come to rescue his people from their sins. And this child, this is the Old Testament, by the way, that we're reading, is given to us. Who gave him to us? The Father. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, so whoever believes in him would not perish into the darkness forever, but have eternal life. The child was a gift. And the government is on his shoulders. And he's able to bear the weight of this government. You know, when Moses first led the people of Israel out of Egypt, uh, he would sit in the desert and there's this huge mass of people, million people. And he would sit there and the people would come with their questions and their disputes all day, every day. Settle this for us, Moses. Do this for us, Moses. Answer this question, Moses. And his father-in-law looked at it and said, this is crazy. This is way too heavy for you. You just sit here day after day after day. You're going to kill yourself trying to be the guy for all these people. You can't bear the weight of it. Not this king. This king can bear the weight. And so, you can bring your questions. You can bring your complaints. You can bring your problems to this king because he can bear the weight of it. He's going to bear the weight of all of his people, which when you get to the book of Revelation, it's a people too many to number. He invites you to come. He's not going to turn you away. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He can bear the weight. Do you trust him? Do you know that to be true? He's able to meet your need because he knows your needs already. The next observation, he's everything we long for in a leader. Look at these names. I wish, I mean, each one of these names could be an entire sermon. He's called Wonderful Counselor. That means he is all wise. You could say in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When the people saw what Jesus was doing in Galilee 2,000 years ago, they said he does all things well. Everything is as it should be with him. He is all wise. He's able to sustain with a word him who is weary. Truly his counsel is wonderful. Do you believe that? Do you look to him for counsel? Or do you look to the internet or your friends or your family? 
We should seek his wisdom above all else. He is mighty God. That means he's all powerful. A mere human would not have the power to rule effectively for all people across every nation. But this is God in the flesh who heals our diseases, who calms the storms. Surely he is able to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so where do we turn when we feel powerless? Maybe you feel powerless now. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe you're looking at the political situation. Maybe you're looking at your bank account, you feel powerless. Where do you turn when you feel powerless? Surely we can rely on the king who is the mighty God. He is everlasting father. That means he's everlasting. The problem with good leadership in this world is it's short-lived. Doesn't matter who it is, what organization, what entity. You find a good leader who is wise, who has the capability to lead well for the good and flourishing of those underneath them. It's hard enough to find a person like that, let alone make it last. He is like a father to his people, and he is everlasting, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And right now, he is our king, though we can't see him. He is ruling and will rule into eternity. And so, what do we do when we feel like our problems have to do with futility? We feel like it's like a vapor. We just can't get a grip on it. It seems like everything we do is just meaningless. We look to him because we know that he is everlasting We know that all of our labor done in the Lord is never in vain. And so if we give ourselves to following Jesus as king, everything we do matters. If you follow Jesus and you have feelings of futility, remember, everything you do matters because he is the eternal king. And then he's the prince of peace. Kind of builds even within this passage to this last title. This king, this child born in Bethlehem would bring peace between God and man. This child would grow to become a man and he would hang on a cross like the one we have here. And the light that came into the world would be overshadowed by darkness for three hours as he endured the wrath of God for us. Why? Why would the light subject himself to such intense darkness? It was for peace, to make peace between God and man. Now we long for peace in every area of life. We want peace in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, in our our politics. We want peace. There is no peace like peace with God. And that's what this king came to establish. So I love that we sing this time of year, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to reckon with the fact that the darkness is ultimately of our own making. 
It's not a one-to-one correlation. It's not like everything that we suffer is a result of our sin. But suffering is in the world because of sin in the world. And yet, even despite our culpability, our guilt, our shame, God made peace with us. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So the question, do you have peace with God? I don't just mean like, did you become a Christian a long time ago? But are you living in fellowship with God, at peace with God, even this morning? For those who are willing to give up their rebellion, we can have peace with God. And in a well-ordered kingdom, you cannot have peace without justice. Turns out the protesters were right. No justice, no peace. But thankfully, he's going to establish justice and righteousness forever. This is what we want. We want justice. We want things to be right. We don't want injustice. We don't want things to be evil or twisted. If we've got a sense of what's right and what's wrong, we want things to be right, for things to be as they ought to be. And when Christ returns, he's going to make everything right. There will be justice and righteousness forevermore. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. Since the time of Aristotle, philosophers have been asking the question, what kind of government is best? Is it a democracy? Is it a republic? Is it the rule of a few? Is it a king? Well, the resounding answer down through the centuries and the generations has been the kind of government that is absolutely best is to have a righteous king. That's what we need. A king who has the wisdom to act justly for all the people. A king who will establish peace among all the people. And to this day, everybody in the world, whether they acknowledge it or not, they want a ruler who establishes just and lasting peace for themselves and with all nations. What great news to know that he's already arrived on a distant shore. To know that he's ascended to heaven where he reigns even now. And that he's coming again. Isn't that good news? That's good news of great joy. It's not going to be a lone angel appearing in a remote part of Palestine. It's going to be the whole heaven and earth. Every eye will see him when he returns. And for those who love him, who have loved his kingdom in this life, they're going to love his appearing on that day. I promise you. There will be peace and joy forevermore, world without end. May we love Jesus and long for his appearing this Advent season. Let's pray. Our Father, our hearts are at once overwhelmed with gratitude at the thought that Jesus came, that he showed us what it means to be reconciled to you, to have peace with you. Father, we're overwhelmed with gratitude at the gift of your Holy Spirit who's come to give a foretaste of that heavenly kingdom. 
And yet, Lord, simultaneously we groan. Lord, we know that all creation is groaning and we ourselves groan under the weight of darkness in this world. God, you know the needs in every heart here. You know the grief, the disappointment, the loss. And Father, we thank you that you don't abandon us to wallow in our sin or our suffering. We thank you that you've given us certain promises that Jesus is coming again. Father, help us to love his appearing and his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.